In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. And uh, wow, it's great to be in a church where the pastor can cook. <laughs> Grilled chicken, baked potato, asparagus, yeast rolls, cheesecake, cherry topping. I mean, I'm glad I came here just for the meal. So, uh, but just the hospitality I experienced last night with Jimmy and John getting to spend some time with them. Uh, is reflected here this morning. Just thank you for the warm welcome. And uh, I'm delighted to be here for your uh, spring missions emphasis. Uh, it's wonderful to be in a church that uh, is a both-and church, wanting to reach out both locally and, and globally. Uh, and uh, especially, I want to thank you for your partnership with Operation Mobilization in that uh, you have not only sent Augusta Davin to serve with uh, Operation Mobilization on the ship Lagos Hope, but now you're about to send another Bacon's Castle daughter, Esther Coggin, uh, to, serve, to serve on the ship. So we are um, excited to have Augusta, looking forward to having Esther on there. And uh, so thank you for your partnership in sending them. You know, uh, as John said, I pastored a church for 24 years in the Atlanta area. And so long before I joined OM, uh, we uh, had a partnership with OM, knew them pretty well. And one of the things I appreciated about OM was its, uh, its commitment to prayer. Not just its commitment to prayer. I mean, prayer was a part of the, the warp and woof of OM and the missionaries uh, that I knew. And the more I got to know Operation Mobilization, the more I began to understand why prayer was such a vital part of uh, the mission of Operation Mobilization. Uh, I learned that OM was actually conceived in the living room of a praying widow woman by the name of Dorothy Clapp. Dorothy Clapp lived in uh, New Jersey, Ramsey, New Jersey. And right across the street from her was Ramsey High School. And as long as she lived across the street from Ramsey High School, she would pray two things every day. The first thing she would pray is, Lord, save students from Ramsey High School. And the second thing she would pray is, of those students that you saved, send them out to take the gospel to places in the world that do not know Jesus. Well, one day she heard about one student in particular by the name of George Verwer. Jerry, uh, George was very uh, charismatic. He was very loud. He was very influential. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was later elected student body president. And when she heard about George and his influence, she put him by name on her Holy Spirit prayer hit list and began to pray, Lord, save George Verwer. Well, knowing that no one gets saved without hearing the Word of God, she uh, got her son Dan to give George a Gospel of John. So Dan took it and boldly put it in George's mailbox and walked away. Well, George got that Gospel of John, began to read it. The Spirit of God worked on his heart. Not long after that, he went to uh, an evangelistic meeting in Madison Square Garden, 1955. And there a young man by the name of Billy Graham was preaching the gospel. 
And it was there in that meeting that George Verwer put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So God answered one of Mrs. Clapp's prayers. The second answer was immediately almost. George had a heart to see other people come to know Jesus. So he began sharing the gospel with his students at high school. Many of them came to Christ. He went later went to Moody Bible Institute. And God had given him a heart to see the nations hear about Jesus. So what George would do, he would gather students from Moody and Wheaton College and Emmanuel Bible Institute. They would gather together at the library in Moody after hours. And they would lay maps of the world on the floor. And they would gather around those maps. And they would spend all night prayer meetings crying out to God. Lord, send missionaries to the communist world. Send missionaries to the Hindu world. Send missionaries to the Muslim world. Send missionaries to these places that do not know about Jesus. Well, in one of those all night prayer meetings, a young law student from Wheaton College showed up by the name of Greg Livingston. Greg walked in the room and heard about this prayer meeting going on and as soon as he walked in the room, George Verber looked at him and said, Brother, what nation are you claiming? Greg's response, he, he thought to himself, Well, I wasn't claiming my tuition, much less a country. And I didn't want, I didn't want to sound ignorant, so I said, what, I don't know what's left. And George said, Libya, you've got Libya. So that night, Greg Livingston gathered around one of those maps and started praying for the country of Libya. He thought it was off the coast of Florida. <laughs> he found out it was in North Africa. He began to pray for Libya. And he said, that night, God showed him, my ambitions are too small. There's a God that loves the world. There's a God that loves the nations. And I want to be a part of seeing Jesus go to the nations. Later, he joined what became Operation Mobilization that was started by George Verwer. He became the leader of OM's work in the Middle East. Later left OM and started Frontiers Missions, which today has over a thousand workers targeting the Muslim world with the gospel. All of that came out of the prayers of a praying widow woman. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. So I want to ask you, Bacon's Castle Baptist Church, what country are you claiming as you come to this spring missions emphasis? Actually, I think it's a legitimate question to ask. Because in Psalm 2, God the Father gives God the Son a specific promise related to asking for the nations. So please take your Bibles and open to Psalm 2. This is a psalm about God ruling the nations through His Son. I'm going to read the entire psalm, then we'll come back and just kind of look at the big picture here of what's going on. Psalm 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us tear their fetters apart, cast away their cords from us. 
he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then here's the promise. Ask of me. And I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Remember those kings and rulers that are in rebellion in the first three verses? Now there's an appeal that comes to them. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. But it ends with hope. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 gives us this picture. That God is in charge of the whole world. God is in charge of the nations. But we see a problem. In the first three verses we see that the nations are in Rebellion against God. Why are the nations in an uproar? Some translations. Why are the nations raging and the peoples devising a vain thing? They're getting together, plotting, planning something that's futile, something that's empty. What's their plan? They're gathered together and they're, and they're saying to the Lord and His Christ, His anointed one, we want to be free from you. We're going to tear off your fetters. We're going to cast aside your cords. Here's the basic problem with every one of us in the world without Jesus. We don't want God telling us what to do. We want to be our own boss. We want to be our own master. We want to be our own Lord. We want to call the shots in our life. We don't want God telling us what to do. We don't want his son Jesus telling us what to do. We want to go our own way and do our own thing. And we shake our fist at God and say, You're not going to have your way. I'm going to live life like I want to live it. That's the root of sin, wanting my way rather than God's way. And what makes that so horrible is that there's only one way to be rid of God, and that's to kill him. At the root of sin is a desire to assassinate the king of the universe. And I know that's at the root of sin because look at the cross. We don't want this man reigning over us. Crucify him. Crucify him. Put him to death. And then we don't have to worry about him threatening us with his right to rule any longer. That's the condition of every one of us outside of Christ. Rebels desiring to assassinate God. 
Now, what does God think about that? Well, look at verse 4. <laughs> he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. I mean, there's the picture. God just saying, ooh, I'm so scared. Big, bad man. Going to rebel against me. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, you little people. Don't you understand? I am God. I'm in charge. And whatever way you rebel against me, it will not succeed. It's futile. So let me let you know. As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I say, Jesus is my son. Jesus is king. He shall rule from Jerusalem, just like I say. And then he gives a promise to the son. So here's the son speaking in verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, the Father says to me, the Son, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Now the original background here, King David wrote this, and this is probably about the day that he was coronated as king. And it was set up to be kind of a paradigm for all the other kings of Israel. When they were coronated as king, they were crowned as king. Then, in a sense, they were a son of God representing God's rule in the earth. But we know that this applies to one far greater than David. Because in Acts chapter 13, we find the apostle Paul preaching. And he says, God raised up Jesus from the dead. Which is confirmed by Psalm 2 when he said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That was coronation day for Jesus. We just celebrated it a few weeks ago on Easter. We celebrate it today. Jesus is alive. He wants us to celebrate it tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. Jesus is alive. He's alive from the dead. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's in charge. A lot of times it doesn't look like it, though, does it? The world filled with conflict and war and hatred, our own nation, so filled with conflict and war and hatred. I'm sure this brother, y'all, this guy y'all prayed for, God heal him. I bet there was a lot of healing prayers. He died. Hey, I, we, we prayed for him. What's going on, Lord? You ever feel that way? God, what's going on? That's when he said, you got to trust me. Trust, I know what I'm doing. I'm in charge, and I'm good, and I want what's best for you. Learn to trust me. And then he goes on. Verse 8. Son, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall 
break them. It's interesting how the New Testament translates this. When, it, when, when, when this verse is quoted in the New Testament, it says, You shall shepherd them with the rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. I, like earthenware. I think there's two pictures here. If, if, you're, if you're right with God, he's your shepherd, and he's going to defend you with a rod of iron. It, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it say further down? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't have to fear them if I'm one of his sheep. He's going to protect me with his rod of iron. But if I resist him, he's going to smash me with that rod of iron and shatter me like earthenware. And every person in this world from every nation. So there's this promise to the Son. And then there's this invitation. It's really an appeal to let folks know you can escape the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, which we deserve for rebelling and trying to kill the king of the universe. God offers hope. God offers a refuge. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage or kiss to some. When you would kiss royalty back then, it was... A, it was, it was a show of uh, allegiance. It was like pledging allegiance to the king. But the king just didn't want your allegiance. He wanted your affection. So hopefully when someone would come and kiss the hand of the king, it's not just saying, king, I pledge my allegiance to you, but I love you. Kiss the son that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. God is a God of wrath because he's a God of justice. I heard a story the other day about a, a, a church. Well, I was just talking with a missions pastor. Talking with a missions pastor. And... Uh, he told me they have a work in Ecuador. They set up a, a partnership with the International Justice Mission. I said, why would you do it in Ecuador? In Ecuador, he said, oh, no, no, it was uh, Peru, Lima, Peru, Lima. I said, why Lima? He said, because there's a lot of gold mining in Lima. The miners that come to work the mines there, they're away from their families for months on end. So the mining companies hire people to go in and kidnap little girls to they take them to the miners so the miners can have their way with these little girls and little boys. It is right to be angry against stuff like that. It is just to be angry against stuff like that. It's right for God to be angry against sin. It's right for God to be wrathful because he is a God of justice. And one day he's going to make everything right. 
He's going to make everything right. And for those who reject Him, they'll be smashed by that rod of iron and perish forever. But, how blessed, how blessed are all from every nation who take refuge in Him. That word blessed means real happiness. Here's real happiness. It's not in running away from Jesus or resisting Jesus. It's in saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I submit to you. You're so good. You died for me on the cross. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. Yes, I want you as my Lord. I trust you as my Savior. And this is the message that God has for all the nations. This is the message we need to send missionaries to proclaim. But what I want us to notice, I, I saw David Platt said it. God has not only ordained, how did he say it? God has not only ordained the end as to how the, uh, God has not only ordained that, the end, but the means to the end. And he said, God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his work. So here's the main thing I want to leave you with this morning. Bacon's Castle Baptist, what nation or nations are you claiming? I want to encourage you that as you pray for your missionaries and the fields that they're working in, we're going to do that here in just a moment. You've, we've got uh, eight missionaries we're going to pray for this morning in the fields that they serve in. As you pray, it really does make a difference. God really does use your prayers. You're not just flapping your jaws and creating hot air and talking to the ceiling. You are talking to the God of the universe as you pray for your missionaries and cry out, Lord, save these workers. Uh, uh, save, um, save those from uh, where our ship, is, where the OM ship is ministering. See, I, I got to be careful because I, I, I know a lot of these missionaries are in secure, sensitive countries. I don't want to say them out loud. So you've got missionaries in Central Asia and you've got uh, missionaries in some of these hard places in the world and you've got missionaries in areas where they can open, uh, more openly share the gospel. But as you pray, God is going to use your prayers to make a difference. Let me tell you how, one way I've experienced this most recently. In 2011... Uh, I was going to preach at an African-American church. God's given me the privilege of being part of an initiative in, in OM to see more African-Americans going out as missionaries because only one, less than one half of 1% of the missionaries going out from the United States are African-American. 13% of the population, less than one half of 1% going out. The world is missing a tremendous blessing that God wants to bring to the world through African-American missionaries. So I was going to be preaching at an African-American church. And so I was trying to find, uh, I know a lot of African-American churches want to, if they're going to do missions, they want to do it in Africa. But I'm also recognizing, you know, there's, 
there's Muslim peoples need the Lord. So I was trying to find what's a, a Muslim people group in Africa that is completely unreached. So I was doing some research on a website called the Joshua Project, which lists a lot of unreached peoples in the world. Wow, so many. 17,000 nations in the world. 17,000 people groups. 17,000 ethnic groups. 7,000 of them either have no gospel witness within them or the witness is so small that they still need outside help to penetrate their, their nation. That's over 3 billion people. 3 billion people, almost half the world's population. So, I found this little people group in eastern Chad called the Mimi people. Now, that doesn't mean they're filled with a bunch of grandmas. It's a Muslim people group in eastern Chad near the border with Sudan. Followers of Islam. No church there. Not even John 3.16 translated into their language. No Jesus film in their language. No radio broadcast in their language. And as far as was known at the time, no workers trying to get the gospel to the Mimi. They are in absolute darkness without hope. So that day, after researching the Mimi people and seeing the great need, it not only became a people group for me to present to this church in my message, but it was a people group I began to pray for. I said, Father, you promise in Acts 2.8, you made a promise to your son, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. Because I'm in Jesus, I'm going to ask on behalf of the son, Father, give the Mimi people to your son. I started praying that in 2011. Every Monday for me is Mimi Monday in my prayer time. I pray for the Mimi people every Monday. God send workers, God send workers, God send workers. Raise up a church among the Mimi so one day the Mimi people are sending workers out. So I was praying for the Mimi people for years having no idea what God was doing. About two years ago, one of our OM workers who is Zambian came to our U.S. office. His name is Mark Banda. And uh, Mark was sharing a testimony about how OM Zambia had sent some workers up to the country of Chad. They were in eastern Chad near the border with Sudan. To work with an unreached Muslim people group. Well, when I'm hearing this, it's like, oh my goodness. So later on, I got together with Mark and I said, Mark, that, that people group. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the Mimi people? And I just knew what his answer was going to be. I just knew what his answer was going to be. I said, Mark, have you heard of the Mimi people? He said, no, I haven't. I said, what's the name of the people group up there? He says, the Abu Sharib. 
I said, okay, wonderful, wonderful. So that prompted me to go back to Joshua Project. It was, I said, I, let me just go back and read about the Mimi again, just a, a refresher on the Mimi. So I'm reading down through the profile of the Mimi people. I come to this paragraph. It says, the Mimi intermarry with the Abu Shari people. I said, oh, Lord, we've got to work among the Abu Sharib. That means the Abu Sharib have some kind of relationship with the Mimi. You're closing in. Two months ago, another one of our workers from Zambia, this guy's named Oscar, he came and shared with us about what's going on in that part of the world. And so I got with Oscar. I said, Oscar, you know about the workers in Chad among the Abu Sharif? He said, yes. I, I said, who's our worker there? He said, a guy, one of our, it's a Zambian named Cephas. I said, have you ever heard of the Mimi people? He said, no, I haven't heard about them. But why don't you email Cephas and see if he knows about them? So I sent an email to Cephas who is working with the Abu Shari people. I told him a little bit of my story. I've been praying for the Mimi. And since I heard about the Abu Sharib, I've been praying for the Abu Sharib as well. I said, Cephas, have you ever heard of the Mimi people? He sent back. Almost jumped through the roof. He said, I know Mimi people and we're not having Bible studies with them yet Lord you're faithful you're faithful you said ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance the ends of the earth is your possession it hadn't happened yet but you know what I know it's gonna happen because he's promised his son. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.